0: You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace D.C. Network in Northeast D.C. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. A few months ago, I had to catch a, a flight to do some denominational work. And when I woke up that morning, the weather was terrible. There were dark storm clouds. It was thunder and lightning. And it was raining cats and dogs. And I arrived at the airport. I made it through the security and boarded the plane. And then I got some gospel music going on in my earbuds because I needed to get my soul right for the turbulence. Because I don't like flying like that, y'all. So the plane taxis and then takes off. And on the ascent, we hit clouds and turbulence for a, a few minutes. But then all of a sudden, we burst through the cloud cover into an incredibly radiant, blinding sunshine above the clouds. Now, anybody who was on the ground would have concluded that the sun was not shining on that day. But the truth was that the sun was indeed shining in all of its brilliance. It was just that the storm clouds and the rain reduced the visibility so much that it was easy to conclude from the ground that the sun was not shining. And in many ways, this illustration captures how we experience the Christian life at times. When the storm clouds of financial hardship gather, when the thunderclaps of disappointment startle us, when the lightning of relational losses or dysfunctions strikes, when suffering rains down on our lives, soaking us in despair, we often conclude that the radiance of God's goodness is not shining. In times like these, our perspective from the ground is that God is not good. Sure, God was good when you got the promotion that you wanted. And yes, you could affirm that God was good when he provided A way for you to buy a house and and when your kids got into the school that you were hoping for them to get into. But have you ever experienced events or circumstances in your life that led you to doubt the goodness of God? Have you ever found yourself conflicted by the dissonance between your trials and this truth? As we open up to Psalm 118 this morning, the psalmist gives us his own personal testimony to the goodness of God in the context of his troubles. And what he does is he enlists the worshiping community to join him in testifying to the goodness of God in our own circumstances and trials. And we're going to approach this passage this morning through two points we're going to consider the goodness of God and the gratitude of the church. So let's look at our first point, the goodness of God. Now, if you look at the structure of this psalm, it begins and it ends with this call to the community to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Now, in biblical studies... This is a literary device called an inclusio. Somebody say inclusio. inclusio. Inclusio is like the book ends on your bookshelf. It holds this literary piece together. And one of the things that inclusio does structurally is it sets a theme or a frame for that, that piece of literature. And what we learn is that everything in the middle is connected to the theme, the frame on the end. So what we see in this text is that the frame, the theme of this psalm, is the goodness and the steadfast love of the Lord. And everything through the rest of the psalm is related to this theme. It's related to the goodness and steadfast love of the Lord. And you know what we can draw from this inclusio? Inclusio is that your life in God as his child is framed by the goodness and the steadfast love of the Lord. Everything in your life, including your trials and troubles, relates to the theme of God's goodness and steadfast love. In verses 1 through 2, the psalmist calls the community to give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. And honestly, this is one of the deepest struggles of the Christian life. This is one of the deepest struggles when it comes to knowing God. Because the world, our own sinful hearts, and the devil, our enemy, all conspire to advance this one primary lie in our hearts God is not good. God is not good. And this sneaking, destructive thought often flies under the radar of our lives, and it makes a mess of our decisions, sometimes subconsciously. It kills our joy. We wonder why we're always with a furrowed brow, agitated, bad attitude, bad spirit. And it also exacerbates our fears. And this is what makes this psalm so helpful for us. Remember how we said that the inclusio, the frame on this psalm, is provided in order to show us that the content in the middle is related to the frame? Remember we said that? Okay, well check it out. The frame is about the goodness and steadfast love of the Lord. Even verse 5, look at verse 5. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The psalmist is in dire straits. He was in the worst possible scenario. It's when you are oppressed and stressed and squeezed from all sides. The psalmist, however, begins with the central axiom or assumption that God is good. He's in big trouble, but he doesn't allow his big trouble to shape his view of God. He allows his view of his big God to give context for his trouble, his distress doesn't diminish his conviction that the Lord is good. His distress doesn't lead him to self-protective measures. His distress doesn't lead him to bitterness or cynicism or drifting from God. No. Because he begins with the goodness of God, his distress leads him to call on the Lord. His distress, listen... His distress does not diminish his conviction of God's goodness. It confirms it. It confirms it. Do you remember that Andre Crouch song? He says, if I never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in his word can do. And that's why through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus I've learned to trust in God. If I never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them and I wouldn't know what faith in his word could do. Look at where the psalmist begins. He begins with the goodness of God. We see here that God is not good because he does good. God does good because he is good. In other words... The psalmist has the expectation of God's good action because he has the conviction of God's good essence. God is good. So all of his ways are good. All of his decisions are good. All of his plans are good. All of his timing is good because he is good. But the psalmist describes the good actions that flow from this good God Throughout this whole psalm, he does actually call out the the good actions of God, but he begins with who God is. The Lord is good. And that's why there are all these resulting good things that God has done. Look at them. He starts with the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Verse two, verse five, the Lord is good and setting the psalmist free from his distress. Verse 7, the Lord is good in standing on the psalmist's side as his helper. Verses 8 through 9, the Lord is good as a refuge for the psalmist. Verse 13, the Lord is good in helping the psalmist when he was pushed hard and found himself falling. Verse 14, the Lord is good as the psalmist's strength and song and salvation. Verses 15 and 16, the Lord is good in winning the victory... And sharing it with the psalmist. Verse 18, the Lord is good in disciplining the psalmist severely and not giving him over to death. The Lord is good in disciplining the psalmist severely. I fear that the church has lost this category of severe discipline from the Father for the sake of rescuing our lives. He doesn't give his people over to death, but sometimes it's necessary to severely discipline his children like any good parent and if you who are evil hey the whole counsel of God and here's the deal the psalmist didn't know what the particular outcome of his distressing situation would be and he didn't need to know (laughs) what he did know and what he needed to know was that the Lord is good as a child of God hear me as a child of God This is your birthright, this knowledge of God's goodness. This is your inheritance. You are where you are right now because God is good. You have what you have right now because the Lord is good. You're in a different situation than your friends because the Lord is good. He cannot be anything other than good. It's a cosmic impossibility for God to deviate from being and doing good. It's an utter impossibility for God to do you wrong. Because he is the essence of goodness. He is the pinnacle of goodness. He is the fullness of goodness. But here's the thing. And this is what wisdom dictates. Don't make the mistake of trying to forecast the way in which God is going to show his goodness to you in this life. Don't try to forecast it or circumscribe it. You can't accurately measure the goodness of God based upon how closely he aligns with your designs and desires. I'm going to say that again. You cannot accurately measure the goodness of God based upon how closely he aligns with your designs and desires for two reasons. First, that's man-centered thinking. I measure God against me and all of my wisdom and all of my knowledge and experience for these few years on the earth. I'm going to tell the ageless one what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, what he ought to be doing, what he shouldn't be doing. It's man-centered and that is, that's one of the most significant errors that captures our theological framing is when we start to frame things in a man-centered way. That's the first reason why this is bad news, right? It's the first reason why it's, a, it's bad to think in this way. But the second reason why this is foolish is because it assumes that all of your designs and all of your plans are good. That all of your plans and designs are wise and holy and communally beneficial. You might have a pretty good scope on something you think is good for your personal life. But God is always doing many things at once and all things well. And he doesn't just want to do good to you. The stuff he does in your life is not just for you. It's for others. It's for your neighbors. It's for the world. Putting your trust in God's goodness frees you from the need to control everything. And it frees you from the need to have all the answers. It frees you from the need to have explanations for everything. Because you know what? Most of the time, even if you had the explanation, it wouldn't take the pain away. You don't need answers most of the time. You need God's presence. You know what it's like when you're going through a hard time? There's one thing to be doing it in isolation by yourself, it's another thing when a friend comes and sits with you. At that point, you don't need your friend to have answers, their presence itself is a balm. And this is something of the way I'd have you think about your trials and tribulations and circumstances in relationship to God. What you need is not answers, you need his presence. But putting your trust in God's goodness frees you. Because scripture teaches that in his tender mercy, God is good, in his just judgment, God is good. In his wise governance, God is good. In his frustrating timing, God is good. In his giving, God is good. In his withholding, God is good. In his taking, God is good. In his fatherly discipline, God is good. Like water is wet, God is good. Like fire is hot, God is good. God is good all the time and all the time, amen. But people often ask the question, right? Why do bad things happen to good people? It's an honest question, right? It seems confounding. I look at people that seem to be good people. I'm a good person. Why do bad things happen to good people? I think the answer to this question takes us to the heart of the gospel. Because there was only really one time in human history that bad things happened to a truly good person. And that was when Jesus Christ willingly carried our sins to the cross to make atonement, to pay our debt, to cover our shame, to bring bad people back to a good God. Why did bad things happen to this good man, Jesus Christ? Because God is good. Why did bad things happen to this good man? So that God could do good things to bad people in bad circumstances by grace alone through faith alone. In the gospel, a good God enters into a bad world, comes to bad people in their bad situation in order to bring them good news that Good Friday would make it all good again. Good things flow from a good God to bad people through the good news. Listen, the weather on the ground in Jerusalem on that Friday obscured the disciples' vision of God's goodness. They were despairing, they were defeated, they were terrified, and they were utterly hopeless when Jesus was arrested, falsely accused, and condemned to die by crucifixion. The murder of their teacher and friend, the execution of their beloved leader did not align with their future plans. It did not align with their vision of how a good God would act. If there was ever a day where God's goodness was brought into question by human beings, it was this day. But on Resurrection Sunday, the goodness of God was thoroughly vindicated. And that's the reason why Psalm 118 is repeatedly quoted in the New Testament. The rock that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I will live, I will not die, and I will stand to look over my enemies. I will exalt over them, I will be raised up over them. This psalm is repeatedly quoted in the New Testament because it brings us to this good news. Do you see it, y'all? Do you see it? The gospel is the plane by which we ascend in the Spirit to see the brilliance of God's goodness, no matter how the weather may be on the ground. Heaven's perspective is the transcendent truth. And the gospel lets us know for a fact that the radiance of God's goodness is still shining, regardless of what the weather on the ground may be like, no matter how the weather may obscure our vision. Like any loving parent, God is good when he tells his children yes. And God is good when he tells his children wait. And God is good when he tells his children no. And like children, we may get upset. And like children, we may say that God is being mean and that God doesn't love us. However, mature perspective recognizes that God's fatherly ways with each of his children are custom designed to beautify and transform us into the likeness of Christ. And there is no greater good than God could do for us than to make us into the beautiful image of his son. It's astonishing. That's how good he is. He will take our broken down lives And beautify us to the degree that C.S. Lewis says, if you were to see your neighbor in glory, in all of their radiance and splendor, you would be tempted to bow down and worship them. That's what God is doing right now in the squeeze of your life. This is what God is doing as he's disrupting your bootleg plans. And yes, we just got to be honest. Our plans... No matter how well laid we think they are, when God overturns them, God knows that's a bootleg plan. Let me give you something better. It reminds me of that time. I've used this illustration before, but it fits here. When I made a little fatherly bribe to Tiana when she was a little girl, and I told her to go upstairs and get something for me. And if she would go and get it, I would give her a dime. And she went upstairs And she came back down with the thing I wanted, and I reached in my pocket, and I realized I didn't have no dime. All I had was a $5 bill. And so I gave her the $5 bill, and she broke down in tears. And I said, what's the matter? She said, Daddy, you said you were going to give me a dime. I said, do you know how many dimes are in this $5 bill? And so often we're crying because we're trying to get the dime, and God's trying to give us the $5 bill. He's trying to make us rich in the gospel, rich in our mental and emotional life, rich in our relationships, rich in our vocations, rich in our neighboring. That's what God's trying to give us. And so often we're chasing the dime. Stop chasing the dime and trust in your good father. The implication for us right now is that God is good to us all day, every day, and the proof is Good Friday. God is as good to us today as he was on Good Friday. Do you realize that? Every question concerning God's goodness finds its answer in the person and work of Christ. You must take every bad day, every bad event, every bad feeling, every bad scenario, you must take it to Good Friday if you are to be convinced that God is good. The cross is the ultimate proof, the ultimate assurance that God is good and does good whether you can see it, feel it, and believe it or not. You know, that's a mature response. Rather than saying, God's not good, I'm going through this hard thing right now, a better response is to say, I know that God is good and my emotions have not caught up to that truth yet, but I'm striving for it. That's healthy spirituality. Being able to acknowledge that your heart is sluggish to a truth that cannot be overturned. It's okay to confess that. To tell one another, I've I've experienced this devastating thing. I know God is good. My heart can't feel it right now. But would you pray for me? Would you walk with me so that in due time, the brilliance of his goodness will break through the clouds for me? We must reorient our lives and calibrate our hearts to this precious truth. And when we do, the enduring mark on our lives will be gratitude, which brings us to our final point, the gratitude of the church. Look at verses 19 through 24. The psalmist says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And in verses 28 and 29, he says, You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. So that inclusio, not only... Does it connect everything in the center to the goodness and steadfast love of the Lord? But that inclusio also includes the gratitude of God's people. So we ought to express gratitude for everything that happens in the middle. Because God is up to things that we can't see. Working our good. That's his promise. God works all things together for the good. For those who love God. For those called according to his purpose. Do you know what that good is? It's not random good. It is The goodness in that Romans 8 passage is Christ's likeness. He is fashioning us into the moral and ethical beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's good news. Look at what the goodness of the Lord does with the psalmist. And then look at what the psalmist does with the goodness of the Lord. The goodness of the Lord works on his heart. It softens his heart. It makes him tender. And then what the psalmist does with the goodness of the Lord is he gives thanks and praise for that goodness. Deep gratitude and worship. And I think that you could say that the true measure of our knowledge of God is the degree of our gratitude. When gratitude is lacking, knowledge of God is suspect. I think that's just basic, factual, right? When gratitude is lacking, you're out of touch with who God is. And not only are you out of touch with who God is, you're out of touch with who you are. Do you know who you are? <laughs> Think about the juxtaposition, who God is, who you are. And you know things are out of whack when you come out of that with entitlement. That tells me you, don't, you haven't connected the two of those. You haven't, you haven't penetrated into the depths of the two of those, who God is and who I am. When you truly know who God is and what God has done, and when you truly know who you are and what you have done, an incredible, limitless wellspring of gratitude flows from your life. Gratitude is more than something that you do. It is a way of being and a collection of practices. When you're in touch with what is really true about your badness and God's goodness, gratitude becomes an enduring disposition, a new habit That is not constrained by your emotions. A new habit that is not constrained by your emotions. I don't feel like it. I feel sluggish. Do you know what Sunday mornings would feel like if we did not allow our emotions to call the shots on our gratitude and praise and worship? It would be different, y'all. It would be different. When you read through the Psalter and you see, clap your hands, oh, you people, shout to the Lord. When you see David dancing, David danced so hard his clothes is falling off. Now, I'm not advising that. We don't need nobody's clothes falling off in here. But the point is that there was a connection made for David. He had experienced the goodness of the Lord and he let the gratitude flow. And he didn't allow his emotions to constrain his praise and his worship and the clapping of his hands and the lifting of his voice and the amening of the word. In light of the goodness of our God, complaining and entitlement got to go. Cynicism and bitterness must dissolve because the fact is that we're always enjoying infinitely more than we deserve to be enjoying. You you realize the moment that you begin to lodge a complaint against the Lord with the tongue that he has given you and sustains in its health, you're you're already speaking a conflict with the air that you have in your lungs and the mental capacity that you have to even have rational capability of critiquing him. He gave it to you. I had a seminary professor who once said that when, when people lodge their complaints Against God, or when there's atheistic rejection of God, it's like this scene that he saw on a, on a train where there was a little girl sitting on her father's lap and then she reached up and slapped him in the face. And the only reason she could hit him in the face is because he was holding her up on his knee. By the way, that, that child wouldn't have made the rest of that train ride. I digress. The goodness of God should produce a grateful people. Grateful people exist in the world differently, y'all. Author Ann Voskamp says this. She says, in counting gifts, I discover that slapping a sloppy brush of thanksgiving over everything in my life leaves me deeply thankful for very few things in my life. So, what do you do? Start naming all the ways that the Lord has revealed his goodness in your life. Start naming them. Do you need to journal them? Do you need to write them down? Do you need to make a family practice of ending each day with naming the goodness of the Lord through that day? When kids wanna complain, when parents wanna complain, be specific. Name all the goodness. Name the ways He's revealed His goodness. Sometimes it takes hindsight to be able to name the goodness. Two, be specific as you return your gratitude back to the Lord. Lord, I thank you. Lord, thanks for letting us have a good day. <laughs> we can get more specific with that. Thank you for the gifts, specifically of life and faith. Lord, I thank you that you answered my prayer. Lord, I thank you that when I was anxious in that moment and I turned my heart to you really briefly, that you relieved me. Lord, I thank you for letting me have a wonderful conversation with my child about this precious truth of the faith. Lord, I thank you for all the little stuff that ain't so little after all. Three, share his goodness to you in the context of community. Share the things that the Lord is doing in your life with your people. Because sometimes one of the most beautiful and powerful rebukes that a cynic and a complainer can receive is to hear gratitude continually being shared with them. To remind them that I'm doing evil and not lifting my heart of gratitude to the Lord. That's evil. It's sinful. It's something of which to repent. Don't just say, oh, I'm just, I'm just that kind of personality. No. No. Because that's not what you're going to be like in glory. You're going to be bouncing off the walls in joy. So that redemption can creep into your life now. Finally, remember that gratitude for the goodness of God is crucial for witness. Commend your good God to your neighbors. Remember the source. And you just might help your neighbors to catch that gospel flight up through the clouds to see the goodness of the Lord shining brilliantly in this place. Amen. Let's pray.